Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Go ahead, turn there. Children's Church, you are dismissed. Pre-K through second grade. Turn to the book of Matthew, and then also take your finger and turn with me to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. As we get started this morning, that was good. I love the book of Joshua. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Now, I don't know if you're much into genealogies or family history or anything like that. Uh, I really like that kind of stuff. I love history. and ge- Do you like anybody out there? Are you interested in like, your family genealogy, where you came from, history, anything? Nobody, literally three. All right. And so um, I always find it really fascinating. And then uh, the people used to have to really do a lot of researching. Like you'd have to really go and research and dig to find your, where your family tree came from. And now it's a lot easier with things like Ancestry.com and, and things like that. And most of the time when we're digging, when we're looking, one of the things that we're hoping for is that we'll find somebody famous, somebody cool. You're like, oh, I'm related to George Washington or something like that. And that's what we're hoping to find. Alicia, on her side, her mother's side of the family, uh, she is a direct uh, descendant of one of the original framers of the United States Constitution. Pretty cool. And then on my, on my side of the family, my family tree, I'm a direct descendant of people who went to prison. And so we kind of just... <laughs> I feel like it's a match made in heaven, okay? Right, but the point is this. Usually in your genealogy, just you. Not, you would want to include some cool, good, famous people. If you're, you know, if, you're, if you're the third cousin of Osama bin Laden, you probably wouldn't tell anybody, okay? But generally, we're looking for good people. And as we said from the very beginning of this series, when Matthew sat down to give us his account Uh, of the birth of Christ and Jesus and the gospel, he starts with some research, with some genealogy right in the beginning. And his goal, of course, we've told you, is to prove that Jesus was a descendant of King David because if he's going to be the Messiah, he has to be descended from King David. And so that's part of the reason for the genealogy. uh, It's to say, hey, Jesus is legit. He's got all the right people. But Matthew, for whatever reason, seems intent to include some people that we've called icky icky people he underscores some of the people that if we're being honest me and you we we would skip we would leave out and we wouldn't talk about Uh, and there's in the genealogy there's four women genealogies in this time never included women for any reason yet in this genealogy there's four women three of them aren't even jewish which means that jesus doesn't even have pure jewish bloodline and again as you read it it seems like he just stops to pause and to draw your attention to some of these more icky characters And the question we talked about last week is, why are these people included? Why did Matthew go out of his way when he could have just said the men's names and not mentioned any of this stuff? Why did he do that? Write this down. Take some notes this morning. It's because, like we talked about last week, sinners are part of the story, and they're also the point of the story. The whole point of Christ's coming, the babe born in Bethlehem, is for sinners and my, Matthew here is writing to a very religious group of people who, in, in their worldview, to have a right standing with God, it was all about what you bring to the table, right? I'm a good person. I, I pray at the right place. I face in the right direction. I make the right sacrifices. I do the right things. I associate with the right people. Therefore, God should accept me because I do the right things. I'm bringing my righteousness to God so God likes me, Like right? So if I'm coming to God, I'm like, God, bless my house, bless my babies, bless my crops, bless my business. It's all based on how good 
I am. That's what the worldview would have been that day. Or at the very least, maybe not good things that you do, but bad things that you don't do. God, you should bless me because I'm not as bad as some of these other people, right? I do some really good things. The problem is that in Matthew's day, all the way back then over 2,000 years ago, and in 2018, if my approach to God is based on how good I am or because I do some good things and I don't do some bad things, that'll never work because I will, I don't know about you, I will never be consistent enough good, right? I won't be good enough, long enough, consistently enough to ever have peace with God and to please God. And so Matthew is going to tell the story of how Jesus came to be the Savior, not of perfect people because they don't exist, but for sinful people. And so he traces the lineage of Jesus, and he shows that God all along from the very beginning in his word, he's distributed his grace, his love, his compassion, his mercy on the people that deserved it the least, the absolute least. And the reason why you're, the part, of the, you're part of the story this morning is because you don't deserve it either. And that's good, good news. Now, look with me, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez, Perez uh, and Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Remember her? Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Now, we've already talked about this, and we've talked about her, but you know that Rahab had a label. Rahab had a nickname. Now, it's not unusual. There's all kinds of people in the Bible that have nicknames or labels or whatever. Uh, For example, uh, fill in the blank, John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, uh, Uriah the... Now, that's for the people that really went to Sunday school right there. Uriah the Hittite, uh, Jesus the... Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Or how about this? Alexander the? uh, Conan the? Come on, louder. Conan the what? Buffy the? Wow, I I get it. Yeah, we perked up over here. Star Wars people, Jabba the? Right, we what? Uh, Hike that ball. Listen, uh, we recognize it's just normal for people to have these labels, these nicknames. All throughout history, whether it's in fiction or nonfiction, people have had these kind of names described to them. And unfortunately for Rahab, she's known as Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. She's not even Jewish. And she's a prostitute. She belonged to the enemy. And just as we kind of launch into this Christmas story, and the first thing we come to here is Rahab the harlot. It's like, thanks, Matthew. Why are we including her? And as we take a look at her story, I want you to remember this. Write this down. We're going to call her this. We're going to call her Rahab the helper. That's for all of you that took notes ahead of time. Go ahead and cross Harlot out and put the helper. We're going to meet this lady in heaven one day, y'all. I ain't having y'all write that down. Amen? So when you meet her, you'll be like, hey, Rahab the helper, right? It'll just come to you right when you need it. Right, But Matthew could have skipped over Rahab. He could have just stuck with the guy's names, but he didn't. He mentions these ladies, and he mentions Rahab. Because Rahab's story is a story of grace and mercy and forgiveness and the love of God and faith, and it's absolutely incredible. I mean, in all of it, right here in the family tree of Jesus. So let me give you the context for Rahab the helper. 
right? Rahab, uh, the, the Jewish people, they had just gotten their freedom for well, just many years, but they left Egypt. They're going into the promised land. They're ready to take back the land of Jacob and, and Isaac and all of them. Remember, they had left. They were in the, their land, and they left and went to Egypt because of the famine, and then Joseph took care of everybody. Now, all these years later, now they're going back to retake what belongs to them. And as they cross the Jordan River, there's Jericho. You remember the city of Jericho. And Joshua, the leader, sends out a couple of spies to check out Jericho and see what's going on before they try to retake it. And these two men arrive in Jericho. They scout out the city, but they're spotted. So they duck. These two spies that are sent to scout out the city, they duck into a house. And it just so happens to be the house of Rahab the harlot. Just don't tell her I said that. Rahab the harlot just so happened to be her house. And then what happens is, I put this in my notes for you guys. And then what happened is, the guards that spotted the spies, they go and knock on her door. Now, if you're guards and you see a couple of spies, are you going to knock? You know why they knocked, right? Because she's Rahab the harlot. There's no telling which boss, which commander, which person of influence is on the other side of that door. And so they knock, and they're like, hey, we saw two spies come in here. Where are they? She's like, they were here, but they left. They just made it out of the gate, and if you guys hurry up, you can still catch them. So they rounded up a posse. or They did this with their hand. Let's go, and they went and got, went to chase the spies out of the gate. But meanwhile, she was hiding them upstairs, and she has this conversation with the two spies. Look at it in Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 8. Now I'm going to be doing this the rest of the day. All right. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. The Lord. Uh, it's interesting. Look at this next slide. This is the word she used. That word Lord there is the word Yahweh, or we sometimes say Jehovah. It is the most sacred name that the Jews have for God. This is when you're the most honored, the most cool. This is the word. And she's saying, I believe that your God is the God of all gods. Look at verse number nine. She's, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are fainthearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, why? For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. What she's saying is this. She's saying, listen, all these pagan gods that I was brought up with, all these different gods that we worshiped here in Jericho, uh, your God has proven himself. He's not just the God of heaven, but the earth below because he's been doing miraculous, uh, wonderful things for the nation of Israel. And we've heard about this and everybody's scared. She's saying your God is God. And there's this amazing sense of faith and not a lot of detail here, but we, we know that she was believing that Jehovah God was the one true God. Very little content, but a great deal of faith. Now look at verse number 12. She says, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with 
you. So she lets them down. You know the story. She lets them down by a rope because her house was in the wall. She lets them down by a rope and they get out. She's basically saying, I don't know a lot about your God, but I believe that he is the one true God. Me and my family, we believe in Jehovah God. And so the spies, they get away and get back to Joshua. And what happens next is a little bit of Bible history that I bet almost every one of you know you're familiar with. It's the story of the Battle of Jericho, right? And there's even that little song. Do you know the song, the battle? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Come on, Jericho, Jericho. I'm just the only time I'm singing, people. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And what? Well, yeah, we were terrible. And the walls come tumbling down. Thank you, VeggieTales. Um, listen, do y'all remember that from VeggieTales? Am I the only one? All right. And so what happens is, I will never sing again. What happens is, Joshua gets his generals together, and he's like, I've got a plan. They're like, what's the plan, boss? And he's like, the plan. Okay. He said, I've got a plan. <laughs> I started to do Fantasy Island. I don't know what's wrong with me. Started, he says, I got a plan. And they're like, what's the plan, boss? And he's like, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you can put up your swords, grab your sneakers. On day one, we're just going to walk around this, the city. Day number two, we're going to walk around the city. Day three, day four, day five, day six, we're just going to walk around the city one time each day. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around the city seven times. And then we're going to shout. Any questions? <laughs> and you know, they're like, yeah, we've got a lot of, that doesn't really make sense. But what it was is God is setting this up in such a way that he is going to get the glory out of this. That God, God is going to give the, uh, the victory, nobody else. And that everybody's going to see that there was a God with the nation of Israel and that Rahab was right. That this is the real deal God who has shown up in the land of Canaan, bringing these Israelite people back to their homes. So sure enough, they march around the city, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven. And then they shout, and the walls, the walls came tumbling down, right? And so the walls come down, and then there's a battle, and they go in, and they're killing everybody. There's chaos. There's terror. There's, I mean, it's just awful. It's a battle. It's a fight. They're taking this city. And in the middle of that, God spared this little family of Rahab the harlot and protected them, this family of one Canaanite prostitute. And here's how the story ends up. After they've taken the city, everything is settled down. Joshua fulfills his promise. Look in your notes at Joshua 6, verse 22. It says, But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the women, woman and all that she has as you swore her. In other words, we're going to keep our word. Uh, look, go down to verse 25. He says, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. And then what's next is, I love this little phrase, as far as in the Bible, this is as close and as good as you're ever going to get to, and they lived happily ever after. This is amazing. Look at this last part of verse 25. It says, so she dwells in Israel to this day. I mean, I just, I love that verse. I love the way they kind of put a little bow on this story right there. That she, when this book of the Bible was written, she was still living among the Israelites as a picture, as an illustration it's a, just a strange, an idea that was still foreign to the people of Israel, to the Hebrews of that day, that God is a mercy of, uh, God is a God of mercy. He's a God of grace, even to a woman who doesn't necessarily deserve it, an outsider, an enemy, somebody who according to the law should be condemned, somebody according to the law should not be living among them. But what the Bible tells us is that God protected her and her family and brought them out of Jericho and put them among his people. Now, what the Bible doesn't tell us, and I'm just going to make it up, 
because I have an imagination. The Bible doesn't tell us is what happens next is Rahab is out there doing laundry on the, at the River Jericho one day, and she's washing her clothes, and she's probably singing that song, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. And she's out there humming, and she's singing. She's doing her chores, and a man named Salmon walks up. And Salmon looks at Rahab, and he says, How you doing? How you doing? You doing all right? <laughs> Good day to do some laundry, huh? Anyway, guys are stupid. All right, so how you doing? Let's go get some coffee. Let's go get some dinner. Next thing you know, Rahab and Salmon fall in love. And, uh, and it's this Jewish man marrying this Canaanite woman. And they have a little baby. And they said, let's call him Boaz. And Boaz grew up. And someday Boaz met a lady named Ruth. She's got a whole Bible written about her. And I think Boaz, when he saw Ruth, it reminded him of his mama Rahab because Ruth wasn't Jewish either. And, he, and so uh, Boaz marries this Ruth, and they have a baby. Baby Ruth, all right. And then one generation after, I couldn't, I tried not to. And then one generation after another, and Boaz and Ruth uh, are actually the great-grandparents to King David. King David. And so you see Matthew's pausing just long enough and, and brings to, all of that to the memory of the readers of his genealogy because he knew the story, the story of Rahab. Ultimately, write this down, that Rahab illustrates perfectly the message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's a woman who was condemned by the law, far, far from God, and a pagan harlot. She's an outcast. She's an outsider. She's a lawbreaker. She's an enemy to the people of God. And God says, even though she's guilty because of her lifestyle, even because she's guilty of how she was, where she was born, because of her faith, I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to show her my mercy, my love, and my grace. I'm going to put her, Rahab the harlot, this Canaanite prostitute, into the family of tree of my son, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Rahab's story is amazing. It's incredible. But you know what? I don't think her story is really that different from our story. Our story and Rahab's story are very similar. And maybe you don't think so, but just because Rahab had a label, the truth is we've got labels too. And maybe you don't think so, but I bet there's somebody at work that thinks you have a label. I bet there's somebody on your wife's side of the family that thinks you have a label or your husband's side of the family. I bet there's somebody in your neighborhood that thinks that you have a label. We've all got labels. And I think if I were able to peer into your heart, take some time and read your thoughts, know where you've been, what you've seen, what you've done, study your behavior, your private behavior, your public behavior, the things that you think about that you would never want anybody to know that you think about, I think the truth is you've got a label just like Rahab. Write this down. If the truth were exposed, I mean, like, for real, wouldn't you have a label? If the truth were exposed, wouldn't you have a label of some kind? Some of you have got labels that have been outed and you've been ashamed of. Some of you got labels that you've tried to distance yourself from, right? You, you try to get away from it, but then you see them again, and they're like, hey, aren't you the one? And then you go, yep, I'm always going to be that label to those people, right? Some of you have got labels because of your secrets. Some of you have got labels because of your sin. Some of you got labels that you regret so much and you wish that you could go back and undo and change it and fix it and make it right, but you can't. And as easy as it is for us today to look at Rahab the harlot and put a label on her and say, that's bad. The truth is her story is our story. Her story is our story. I actually made a list of some labels. Maybe these describe you this morning. Carrie the coveter. Grace the greedy, Gary the glutton, 
Larry the Luster, Cherry the Cheater, James the Jerk, Sam the Swindler, Adam the Addict, Barry the Abuser, Joseph the Jealous, Faith the Unfaithful. You got a label, and you know it. I may not know it, and the person sitting next to you may not know it, but you've got a label, just like Rahab. And I think that's why Matthew throws Rahab's name out there. Again, he shouldn't have mentioned Rahab's name. All he had to have mentioned was Salmon's name. He didn't have to mention Rahab's name. And I think the reason why he throws Rahab in with her label is because Matthew understood more than anybody what it was like to live with a label. Because if you remember, who was Matthew? Matthew the tax collector. And the tax collector was the most hated, despised person in all of Israel in Jesus' day for a man to betray his people and to turn to the Romans and to rob and steal from his people to make money off of the Romans. It was a special class of sinner, right? You had tax collectors and sinners. And he knew what it was like to have a label and for people to label you and look down on you. He knew exactly what that was like. But then Matthew knew what it was like to meet Jesus. And he was no longer Matthew the tax collector. He became Matthew the disciple of Jesus Christ. Matthew the disciple of Jesus Christ who wrote one of the only four gospels that we have. He knows that God could take a person with a not so good label and do amazing, incredible things in their lives and through their lives. And Matthew knows what they, when he's telling this story about Jesus, that Jesus is inviting all kinds of people that necessarily we wouldn't want to brag on or necessarily want to invite people with all kinds of labels to follow Christ and believe in him and to trust him. And so Rahab, the harlot, far from God, with just a little bit of faith in Jehovah God, she became the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus the Messiah. Man, it don't matter where you start. It matters where you end. She ended. She is not Rahab the harlot. She is Rahab, the great, 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 great grandmama of baby Jesus, also known as King Jesus. It's not where you start. It doesn't matter what your label says about who you used to be. It doesn't matter what your label says about who you were five minutes ago. All that matters is what are you going to do with your label and do with Christ? The message of Matthew, the message of Jesus, the message of Christmas. Look at this next slide. God saves sinners. That's the message. He saves sinners. Sinners are the only people he's ever saved. Isn't that amazing? The very people that don't deserve it. And I'd invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, not based on how good you are, not based on what you're bringing to the table, but the fact that you don't bring nothing to the table but labels. And you don't need that. You need Christ and what he has done for you. Rahab could have never saved herself. Rahab could have never saved her family. It took Jehovah God to save Rahab and to save her family. It isn't what you do or what you haven't done. It's what you're going to do with Christ. Yesterday doesn't matter. Last night doesn't matter. This morning doesn't matter. Right now, God saves sinners. But you have to know that you're a sinner. If you don't think that you're a sinner, not only are you not saved, you've never been saved. The only way that you can be saved, the only way you can come to Christ 
is being, I'm Rahab the harlot, right? I'm Marcus the mean. Marcus the lie. Only way that I can come to Christ is acknowledging I'm a sinner. And I, I say it all the time, but I do dirt. And to be honest, I do it on purpose. And that's the only basis by which we can come to Christ to be forgiven. Let me tell you something. Rahab didn't stop being a harlot and then come to God, Jehovah God. She was Rahab the harlot the moment that she put her faith in God. And if you keep waiting until the moment that you get perfect, to the moment you clean yourself up, to the moment where you're no longer Marcus the mean or, or, or carry the critical or whatever it is, if you wait until you get it all figured out and straightened out on your own, you'll never come to Christ. You come just as you are. Empty hands, man. Just sinful people. And that's the good news of Christmas. God came to save sinners. Because that's the only kind of people there are. But if we fill ourselves up with our own self-righteousness and never get to the place where we're willing to acknowledge to God that we're sinners, we can never be saved. And then the other danger is for those of us who are believers. Somehow a little distance gets between us and our salvation and we begin to think that we're the good ones. We begin to think that we're the ones that are right. And we begin to look at other people who aren't right with God almost as if they're less than, that they don't matter. And we look at them and we're like, why don't they clean themselves up? Why don't they act right? Why don't they get their act together? They can't until they have Christ. And they'll never have Christ as long as you're looking down your nose at them and refuse to share the love and the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Labels, man. Rahab, the harlot. I'm, I, Rahab, the helper. Rahab, the great, 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 great grandmother of King Jesus. It doesn't matter who you were when you walked in. It's only going to matter who you are when you walk out. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word and the truth. God, that you sent sinners, sent your son to save sinners like me. Lord, help us to live in that truth. Help us to, oh God, just help us to show your grace and mercy everywhere we go to reflect your love to people that don't deserve it. They've never deserved it. God, help us to do that. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. Those of you this morning, you're, you know that you're saved. You know that you're a believer. You've trusted Christ. But could it be that you're using labels on other people? That somewhere in your walk, maybe you've stopped seeing people the way that God sees them? that you don't see people, that you're using labels to categorize people. Not that you would ever do it on purpose or even say it out loud, but you're kind of relegating people off to the side based on their labels. You've decided that, well, they they deserve what they get. We lump these people into these categories, and we kind of think that's going to get us off the hook. That's going to get us off the hook. I don't have to love them. I don't have to share the gospel with them. I don't have to point them to Christ. And so my prayer this morning is simply this, that we would see people as God sees them. Is that your prayer this morning? Do you desire to see people as God sees them? I want to pray with us. Slip your hand up all over the sanctuary. Is that your prayer? God, help me to see people as you see them. Let's pray. Father God, Forgive us when we forget that you saved us 
sinful people. Lord, forgive us if we ever begin to think that salvation is something that we earned, that we were born in the right family, or we were just so good, or I don't know. God, help us to live in humility and peace with all men. But God, with your love, so that we can point them to you. Father, may we always remember that it's the cross. It's because of your sacrifice that you can save sinful men and that you love them.